From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 758, Disaster Recovery Strategies to Fight Ransomware with guest Dave Kawula. Recorded Monday, December 14th, 2020. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts, LLC. For more information, visit soundthoughtsllc.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell. Thanks for listening to Run As Radio. My guest today is Dave Kawula, who is a Microsoft Most Valuable Professional MVP with over 20 years of experience in the IT industry. His background includes data communications networks with multi-server environments, He's led architecture teams for virtualization, system center, exchange, active directory, and internet gateways, and very active with Microsoft community and uh, all kinds of great subjects. Uh, welcome back, Dave. Great to have you back on the show. Thanks a lot for having me, Richard. It's uh, it's my pleasure to be back again. You know, I had so much fun doing this the first time. I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> excited to be back again. Well, you know, it's 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 good stuff, and you've been doing interesting work on the on the disaster response side, and I th- I, it's one of those shows I think we need to revisit on a regular basis, just because we forget. And I talk to IT folks who are battling back up to the cloud, and and you know, what are the right ways to do things, and what's actually secure? Yeah, for sure. And like this, this is a really interesting um, a topic, especially this year with what's going on with the geopolitical landscape Mm -hmm. and, you know, the number of attacks that we see in the news on almost a a daily basis that, you know, when we look at disaster recovery, and I know that you're from the, out in the West coast of Canada. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we always are concerned about, um, you know, natural disasters. Is it going to be a tsunami? Is it going to be the big, the big one, the earthquake or something like that? That's typically the mindset that, that we get when we think about, um, disaster recovery. Is it, is it going to be something that's some type of, you know, natural disaster that's, that's going to hit and we're going to have to, press that big red button, you're going to fail over to another site. Right. Well, the reality of things is, is that when we, when we're dealing with what's going on today, um, there's almost a, another scenario and it's, it's a cyber attack against an organization. And, th- and they're no fool in these days. Like these are not kids from university building a worm. These are genuine black hats, pay us or your data is gone kind of folks. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the thing is, is that the, the, the level of sophistication that we're seeing in the field with these attacks, you know, you hate to use the word state sponsored attacks, but it almost feels like that for some of these organizations, the way that they get hit. And you're absolutely right. It's, it's not necessarily good enough that you've got a DR plan. You may, you may be able to hit the big red button, but they may still have your data. And then, so the ransom could come in, in two forms. It could come in the form of, you know, we've got, we've got your systems and mm-hmm. we've got your data. Right. And so even if you're able to restore, you still might have to pay the ransom so that they don't release that information. Although that ultimately is a business decision, right? It's like, are we prepared to live with this data being released or not? But yeah, I, th- I think the bigger absolutely. concern, and I mean, we've had that happen recently in BC is, the data is locked up and you don't have a viable backup. Like this is not the time to go check for the backup or can the backup get encrypted and violated as well? Well, so that's, that's a really interesting um, concept. And the fact that um, 
I don't even so much call it uh, getting a ransomware attack. A lot of individuals think of it as coming in through some type of a phishing campaign and they're going to hit the button and then instantly you're encrypted. No, absolutely not. What we're finding is happening is um, the threat actors that are out there they're going to hang around for a significant period of time inside of an organization. And one of the first things that we're finding that they're targeting, they're not targeting primary systems. They're targeting backups. Hmm. They're targeting DR. They're targeting backup repositories. An organization might have some NAS devices that they've got where they store, I know, long-term backups on-prem. They're actively targeting those so that when they execute the attack, you don't have a way back. Interesting. So, I mean, does this argue that backing up in the cloud is m a more effective resistance to, to ransomware attacks than your own? It can be. Hmm. It can be. But one of the things that we have to think about is that when, when backing up to the cloud, one of the things that's important to remember is the, the sets of credentials that we're using for those cloud repositories, right. those tenant environments that we have. If our primary for example I'll, I'll use azure as a great as a great example here a lot of organizations love blob storage for long-term historical backups we mm -hmm. can move into an archive tier it's cheap storage it's a great place for us to dump things but the thing is is that there's a recovery key that goes along with that storage vault where did you keep it did you keep your recovery key in a in a secured location because if you didn't and the threat actors gained access to that and they're able to decrypt the contents of that storage repository, then it's all for naught. And so um, what we're finding is active targets of the backup infrastructure itself. And the reason for that is, is a lot of the tools that are used to backup to the cloud have those credentials stored inside of the database, Richard. So now if you gain access to that console on the backup infrastructure, Technically, you've, you've got the keys to the kingdom. Right. And, and so that's one of the, the ways that we've seen them exploit and, and get the, the cloud-based repositories. And so one of the first suggestions that I have in this talk is those credentials that you have, where you're storing um, that data, it's so important that we take and we protect that. We need to protect that backup infrastructure like it really is our last line of defense. Right. So, is the, you know, Am I saying a cliche thing when I say Azure Key Vault? Like, is, or is that actually the right strategy? It, it, it depends. It mm. depends because if, if you've got admin level access to that, to that service that's already got connections up there, um, it's, it's not going to make a lot of difference. And so when, when you take and like the, especially the backup tools that I work with, um, multi-factor authentication on those console servers, absolutely key. Um, our backup and DR infrastructure, moving it away from the primary domain, building a, a separate fabric that DR lives in. And so we've all been in the world of active directory for 20 plus years. Sure. We, we have a primary domain. We've been telling people for years, call, consolidate your active directory, oh, yeah. collapse your forests. That's so NT4 of you. You, you need to, you need to have a, a single, a single pane of authentication for everyone. Well, <laughs> in doing that, if you collapsed all of your, your, your backup infrastructure along with your primary infrastructure, a full level domain admin compromise is going to take out everything. 
So, that so now we get really getting into place. just enough administration. That's like the accounts yeah. that are used to secure those backup information. They should be break glass kinds of accounts that are that bad actors are just not going to get to. Thousand percent. Huh. Thousand percent. See, I, I'm catching on, man. I'm getting there. <laughs> and the problem that we're finding is that if organizations aren't set up to uh, to have the in-house um, skills with PowerShell to to lock that down with Gia, um, to to look at doing something even simpler that they could do today which is to take that DR environment that they've got and move it over into a separate um, domain in forest. We call hmm. it a, we'll call it a DR forest, call it a fabric, call it whatever you want. Really. It's just another set of credentials. Right. So that in the event that something in the primary domain gets compromised, um, we have the ability to fall back and then hopefully your cloud cloud strategy will will work for you. Hopefully your on-prem VR strategy will work for you. And if you do have to make that business decision to pay or not pay, at least you have something to fall back on. What about the various uh, Azure disaster recovery tech? Uh, I mean, you, you just talked about blob storage here, but they actually have dedicated disaster recovery services. Don't they guide us down the right path? So the, the Azure services that are available through, uh, for example, for protecting primary workloads with Azure site recovery and, and tooling like that, um, it provides, uh, the ability to take and to, to do cloud-based and DR failover. But one of the things that, um, you need to think about when setting up services like that is the number of restore and recovery points that you have available for yourself right. in the cloud because um, there's there's a, a point in time where there's there's kind of a wait time that's um, that we look at with any type of attack are you going to be able to go back in time far enough prior to the attack right and, and the point being that they don't immediately attack you or that that they they don't they don't immediately reveal the attack that that they're in your systems for some time before you finally get to uh, the moment of ransoming so to speak for sure and and we're finding so there's there's two sides of this is that you know how long would a normal organization keep backups in DR for is right. it is it two weeks is it thirty days is it six months I think it would depend on the organization right but I I, I think a, a a fairly common number would be saying, listen, we, we can survive with our organization going back 30 days. We want lots of recovery points within those 30 days. Like daily recovery points. Yeah, exactly. And so at some, at a certain point in time, you're going to outrun those, um, those recovery points that are available to you. Yeah. Cause if you only have a rolling 30 day backup set, daily backup set. So you have 30 backups effectively. On day 30 backups, if the guy, if the ransomware guys got in 60 days ago, every one of your backups is now hammered. That's, that's right. And so, and so do you do a generational solution? I mean, back when I did this work and it's been a few years, we did it on tape. It was, I had an annual tape. I had quarterly mm -hmm. tapes and then I had, and I had monthly tapes and I had daily tapes. So we had a month's worth of dailies, 12 tapes for months and then. And then like an annual tape, I think it, it sort of the way it worked out. So you had in the, you would lose some data, but you could jump back six months if you had to. 
Well, and, and that's exactly right. And the thing is, is that instead of using tape as our medium for that, we're using either um, spinning disk, we'll go offline with NAS devices, right? or we'll use that as our cloud tier. So our cloud tier is actually a really good spot for that dormant storage because, mm-hmm. you know, you have the ability to scale up a lot faster with um, cloud-based storage to do that. But you're absolutely right where, you know, you may have to go back six months in time to prior to the point of somebody getting into the network. And I've been in situations um, recently, Richard, twice this year in 2020. Wow. Um, I've had organizations have to go through full admin level. And, and I'll use the word admin loosely because it was really a domain admin level compromise. Right. Where the threat actor had been in there for a significant point in time and they, they completely wiped the organizations off the face of the earth. Wow. The only choice was to take a look at uh, paying the ransom. And out of those two, luckily we did have a cloud tier. Um, it was probably about two to three weeks old. And we were able to recover the infrastructure from that cloud tier. Now, interestingly enough, um, you and I are both based out of Canada. Mm -hmm. So um, we got called in and we were basically walked into a situation where there was nothing left. And so immediately we had to start spinning up some infrastructure, a place to restore things to. And uh, we we cut uh, two tickets that were very important along this process. Number one. The first ticket I, I had the local um, IT director um, cut was with the local telco. So the local telco happened to be uh, TELUS, who's a very popular provider out in Western Canada. Right. And uh, with the flip of a switch in one hour, we went from a 100 meg synchronous connection to a gig synchronous connection. Right. And so it was part of their recovery services, which was great because I need to pull stuff down from the cloud fast. Yeah. And the second ticket that we cut was actually with Microsoft because we were hitting some throttling limits on pulling out of our cloud tier because we were in a, in a, uh, a cool storage at that point in time. We weren't in the full archive tier. We were in cool tier. And so, uh, so the, the folks from Microsoft, once we let them know that we were in a ransomware situation, we got escalated. And they were actually able to to help us remove some of the throttling limits to get that data back because we need to pull it back quickly. And there was, I think this organization had about five terabytes or something that we had to bring back. So it, it took a little while to get the data back, but we were able to actually recover everything. Wow. That was one scenario. <laughs> nice qualifier there. <laughs> the, sec- the second scenario was not so good. Nuts. We did we didn't have anything off-prem. Right. And uh, it was actually a uh, it was actually an organization that was in the U.S. that we were helping for the second one. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was the same thing. It, was, it ended up being a domain admin level compromise. And I just I want to just explain to everyone um, on the on the podcast here today how easy it is to get domain admins if you're not careful. Yeah. And Dave, I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. Clean up from ransomware. How about prevent ransomware? Do all you can to increase security, not just what Microsoft provides. With PolicyPack, you get the power to preemptively block ransomware while you get rid of your local admin rights. PolicyPack works alongside your on-premises Active Directory group policy or your intern in Azure Active Directory. 
You owe it to yourself to see a demo of Policy Pack and then get started in just a few clicks. Learn how thousands of other admins increase their security, ditch local admin rights, and block malware from taking a hold of their on-premises and remote PCs. Don't clean up ransomware. Prevent it. Come to PolicyPack.com to learn more. That's PolicyPAK.com. PolicyPack. Securing your standards. And we're back. This is Run As Radio. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Dave Kuula, and we're talking a little bit about, well, that the threat of ransomware and security issues around your disaster strategies. If you haven't changed your password as a domain admin in a year, mm-hmm. then they've got you know they've got access a long way back. Like they, there's just all these issues that once they're going after domain admins, you're so vulnerable. Granularizing security, so there is no super user anymore or that super user is like a break glass account that sets off every alarm if anybody uses it all of these things would have been tripwires for these ransomware folks absolutely so so this is how it happened with this organization was they they had somebody gain access to one of the workstations and with with covid19 the world that we live in in the global pandemic lots of people work from home almost in fact everyone works from home that can right and the problem is these home networks are not as secure as our corporate networks. That's yeah, just a given fact. And the second part of, uh, of that is, is typically these are shared machines. They're using them for home purposes and business purposes. And so quite honestly, it takes the better part of less than 60 seconds to gain admin access um, if you're not BitLocker in the machine. And so this machine happened to not be BitLockered and somebody gains admin access to an endpoint. That endpoint, um, the threat actor actually ended up uh, being a little bit mischievous on the machine, started to cause some problems. And the goal of it was, um, I want you to cut a, a ticket with the help desk. And guess who Guess who logs in with full domain admin credentials from the help desk? Well, guess what happened when they took and they typed in their username and password right. on a compromised machine? Yeah. Now they've got you. They've got the domain. They've, they've got the domain and passwords now. They, they, they've got the domain passwords yeah. now. And so what ended up happening is they, they systematically went through and they, they knocked out all of our, uh, we were using Hyper-V for this particular organization and VMware for our virtualization or, um, um, infrastructure. They wiped out all of the VMs that were inside of VMware was the Riot ransomware strain. They took and they, um, uh, they were smart. They went into Active Directory. They created scheduled tasks to push out the malware and the, the ransom. They went in. The customer had Kaspersky for an antivirus server. They went into Kaspersky, hacked Kaspersky, and they took and they used that as a way to push out um, the, the payload. They, they triggered it so that it would happen at a certain point in time, and they left us with uh, having to take and and pay the ransom and actually decrypt everything. You wow. think, okay, well, what, what does that process look like? We, we had DR, and in your question earlier about having DR and then all of a sudden not having DR, right? Um, this was the situation where they didn't have DR anymore, and the, the process was very simple. They did, thank goodness, have cybersecurity insurance, and number one tip right now is if you don't have it, you need to talk to a vendor and think about getting cybersecurity insurance. Wow. So the attack, the attack came in on a Monday. And um, on the Monday, um, 
they in in the policy for the cybersecurity insurance. And I'm not sure, Richard, have you ever seen a cybersecurity insurance policy before? No. So inside of a cybersecurity insurance policy, there's I, I like to use the word of like a, a bat phone number. In the event that something happening, call this number. Right. This is the bat phone. This is the bat phone. And so you call that number. And so they're down right now. They're dead in the water. They're, there's nothing left. Everything is is ransomed. They left the domain controllers to the point where they, they basically, short of encrypting the Active Directory database, which they didn't want to do because they still needed you to log on to see the ransom notes. Um, they they took and they, they nothing was usable. So all payroll was down, all infrastructure was down. This was a municipal organization. So you had to think that, um, and they were like a, a small, uh, small local government. And so all 911 services were down, everything gone. And so <laughs> it was bad. And so, okay, we call the number. So I called the number. And so the forensic investigators come. They've got their own team of forensic investigators that come in. So there's a consulting organization that comes in. They they load. Um, uh, I think they were using uh, a tool called Carbon Black from VMware. That was just their tool of choice, and they loaded it up on everything just to see what where it was coming from. They wanted to start gathering information. Right. Well. <laughs> What happens as part of this process, Richard, is you can't touch anything while they're doing their forensic analysis. Of course not. So we, as an IT team, sit there on our on our hands waiting. Five days later, they say, I think you're going to have to pay the ransom. <laughs> they did a good job, so to speak. Yes. Oh, my and goodness. And so now comes in the second consulting organization from the cybersecurity insurance vendor. Um, they're... They're actually, their whole purpose in life is to negotiate ransom. And so three days later, um, we get an amount and they say, are you acceptable? Is this amount acceptable for you? And the policy will pay it. And uh, they had to go to an emergency board of directors meeting and go through that whole process. And yes, we're prepared to pay this. Uh, we're pay prepared to pay this ransom. So they said, okay, you cut the check. Excuse me. We cut the check. Oh yeah, we'll pay you back. Oh, <laughs> I hope you just have a slush fund kicking around. That yeah. you know that for however available. amount that's going to be. Uh huh. And so I was actually dealing with the school board recently in Western Canada. Here, they had recently upped their um, cybersecurity insurance to six million dollars, and I explained this story to them. I'm like, so do you have six million dollars kicking around in slush fund in case you have to pay? I think you better pick up the phone and phone your insurance vendor and find out what this process looks like. Yeah, <laughs> what paying actually looks like. Because you may not even have the funds to pay. Because I highly doubt that the bank is just going to say, sure, here's some extra cash to go pay the ransom for your company. Because that's probably not going to happen. So, uh, lot Well, in theory, the insurance company will pay it. I guess you could work that out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And a long story short, we ended up paying the ransom. We did get a decryption key. And it was very interesting to see how the decryption um, ran. And um, the bad news was, uh, well, the, let's talk about the good news first. The good news first is we got our data back. Right. The bad news, we only got our data back. The infrastructure was still trashed. Mm -hmm. yeah. All of the OS drives on every single one of our Windows servers was trashed. So you've got a SQL database with no SQL server. Right. You've got an application um, data with no IIS server to drive it. So I really hope you had great instructions written down on how to recover all of that. 
Right. And so in our discussion around DR and, you know, having just recently gone through that in the last month, um, one of the most important things for DR that we can look at today is in, inevitably you could have to end up paying with, regardless if you get your data back or not, because they might have your data. Right. But you want your infrastructure back. So at least you have something to recover to. And so one of the things that we recommend that organizations can do today to protect themselves is to have an offline air gapped. We actually call it an immutable copy of your infrastructure and your data. And, and it's so simple. You can just think of it this way. I have uh, the most popular virtualization infrastructure out there in Hyper-V or VMware, or whatever it is, flavor of the week, your choice. Um, you could take and you could have a, a replica copy of your infrastructure offline. Don't have the network ports plugged in. For all, in, for all intents and purposes, you could you could have the thing powered off if you really wanted to go that far. Because trust me, if you're ever in a situation like this where they've got you, bringing that up in a secured environment, having that those sort of set of servers that you can take under your arms are going to be really key. And so it's the same thing for the cloud. If you're going to be taking and you're going to be replicating up to the cloud, make sure that in your um, DR plans that you think about not only the traditional um, scenarios where, you know, fire, flood, natural disaster, cybersecurity has to be another one that's so important. You almost need to have separate DR plans, a totally separate DR plan just for a cybersecurity attack because it's a different animal altogether. Yeah, for sure. It's just, it's, you got me thinking here about just the scope of the issues, even, you know, and it's me, I presume you don't have to give me a number or anything, but they paid a two comma number to those guys. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, this is the scary part about ransomware just not going away. It is profitable. For sure it is. And another another scenario around um, even if you did have the best um, DR plan in place and you were recoverable and you're like, we're not going to pay these guys. We do not negotiate with terrorists. There is an organization in uh, Finland. It was actually a, um, they were psychologists. And so they had the deepest, darkest secrets of, of everyone in there. Right. And, so and it's, this, it's this not rat- even up to them now. It's, you are, mm-hmm. you, you've got a threat of people's personal information here. Like you, you'll be put out of business in a completely different way. They, they actually took it one step further and uh, are, a good friend of both uh, yours and I's, uh, Mr. Sammy Lyhow, oh, yes. was uh, was one of the victims. Actually, believe it or not, he he was he was you know he was there, and it was uh, his his data was there. He said there was nothing that was you know sensitive for his, but he was felt so bad for all of the other individuals that were there. Did you know that the bad guys actually went to each and every patient, demanded two hundred dollars to not reveal their information? Mm-hmm. Genius. Evil genius, but genius nonetheless. Yeah, yeah, abs- absolutely. And and so you think about the advice that I give to organizations now is is to think that you're going to be able to stay um, steps ahead of the bad guys, of the threat actors. They are so evolved. They're so good. We we almost have to think of almost mitigation strategies. Um, and, and survivability cases around, you know, if and when this happens, right. because they are so good. Yeah, they are. Tar- if you were fully exploited, you were up against it. No two ways about it. Um, 
the idea that you would, I mean, if you've got a good backup and it's stage one, it's just a, the other thing, you know, and I've actually read this a few times. It's like, after you give them the key, they also give you sort of like, you should lock this and this, like security advice from your hackers. Mm-hmm. Although I don't know that I'd take it because I, w- I mean, what stops them from hitting you again? Well, there's there really is nothing, especially if you've got uh, poor practices in place. And I hate to use that word because every single day I hear um, stories coming back from my customers where it always seems to be the accounting department that gets hit with the, the weirdest phishing attacks. And no matter how much training we seem to go through with individuals, yeah. they still keep leaking info. Like, don't reply to those emails, you know. We've, we've taken and we've, we've given solutions and put solutions in place to, you know, stop wire transfers. The mm-hmm. CEO is not going to ask for a wire transfer to some random organization that you need to send in the next 15 minutes. And, um, training is a big part of this is yeah. an adaptive training with the organizations to know that, you know, there's never too much training, I think is, is a, is a good point here. Mm hmm. And, and the second one is, uh, is testing your team as well. So, you know, there are, uh, there are tools that you can use for simulated phishing attacks and understanding who the most vulnerable are inside of the organization. Um, and, and just heading down that process. And I, I, I've been talking about this all year in 2020 or right. in all of my sessions that when I, when I do in-person events, I love to be very interactive with the audience and I like to ask questions. So my virtual show of hands, even for the podcast here today is who listening to this podcast today would consider themselves an IT security professional. And, you know, we would have a trickling of hands that sure. come up that needs to change. Every single one of us as IT professionals needs to put up our hand. We all need to participate in this. And we all need to be part of a unified effort inside of the organizations. It's not good enough to say that we've got some security engineer that lives in a dark room with lots of monitors that just looks after things. Um, well, and somebody we basically, you know, look as, as an impediment to work, right? That, mm-hmm. that uh, security is all of our concerns. It's not optional. Uh, absolutely. And uh, I actually saw an interesting article that came out. Um, I know we have viewers coming in from all over the, the, the world here. So our local Canadian um, broadcasting organization is called the CBC or the Canadian Broadcasting Company. And uh, they had a article that came out a few weeks ago that uh, stated that cybersecurity is on the top of mind for uh, executives. And they're anticipating the spend on cybersecurity and prevention is going to be uh, increasing for the foreseeable future. Right. Yeah. It's not, it's it, well, like I said, as long as they're raking millions of dollars off this stuff, they're only going to get better at it. You know, this is, this is incredibly productive for them. So it, it, until we get good enough at resisting them, that it's no longer profitable, that, that their risk of getting caught and charged is higher than their risk of making millions. Yeah. And, and in a lot of cases, there's so many vulnerable organizations out there COVID-19 has not helped our cybersecurity landscape no. that we have by yeah. any means in 2020. That's certainly the, the theme that came across all uh, in, in 2020 was we moved a lot of stuff very quickly and, yeah. and didn't lock it down all that well. Security went by, was weakened while we got folks out of the office. 
and hopefully we clean that up. But I also think that rapid move to the cloud uh, and using the DR cloud strategies is thinking, well, these are good, but are you, have you restored from them? Have you secured them? Jeez, I kind of missed tape. The great thing about tape was mm -hmm. it's kind of permanent. As long as you didn't back up over that tape, you've got an old tape. Like the idea that they, if it's all in the cloud and the accounts get exploited, you could lose every backup. That air gap backup is really an interesting problem to think about. Well, it's it's not just air gapping it now because somebody could get your credentials and go delete all of those. Right. They get access to your tenant. They could go delete all of those. So, so two factoring those having having an encryption key that's set on them, how you're going to access them, it, it's an, it's really important. And, and also, you know, a lot of organizations are starting to think about, okay, well, how about a, a multi-cloud um, solution here as well? So not just one major cloud provider. What if what if we use more than one? And then um, as the last last line of defense, having that offline copy. You know, you hate to say it, but whoever likes to lose data, nobody likes to lose data. But if you're ever in a situation where you're ground back to nothing, trust me, you'll take two weeks ago. You'll take a month ago. Oh, sure. You'll take, you'll take six months ago, if not further back, because at least you have something. Yeah. I, I think that's a, an interesting piece of consideration to any re disaster recovery strategy is that I've never thought of before until you brought this up is what if we have to pay the ransom? What does the recovery look like? Knowing, mm -hmm. expecting you're probably only going to get your data. You're not going to get anything else. Well, and and the other the other piece is too is that once you get the recovery key, your data doesn't just magically decrypt itself. Right. There's a there's a period of time that it takes to decrypt those files. So how long does it actually take for the decryptor to run to make it so that you've got salvageable data? Yeah, you, you know, I don't think anybody at this point once you're paying ransomware is looking at an ETA to up. It's how much of our company still exists. Yeah. And and you're reconstructing it. It is, it is a burn down kind of event. And I, I mean, I worked on disaster recovery plans that included came to the office and there was a smoking hole in the ground where the office used to be, right? And you start thinking about things like, how do we do payroll? You know, that mm -hmm. the, the, those kinds of rebooting the company strategy. But by everything you've described here, the end of a ransomware is a rebooting of the company. You've got to kind of put it back together. Well, and as, as kind of a final closing thought, one of the challenges that we face with IT professionals in trying to find budget and trying to find funding to, uh, to secure and lock these things down can sometimes be challenging because it might not be the priority. And I'll use COVID-19 as the example, Richard. We were told in March to get everybody working from home, right. whatever it takes. VPN concentrators that are maxed out, throwing infrastructure into racks, working 24 hours a day, just doing our best to try to keep companies alive. There's a lot of holes, I'm not going to lie. There's yeah, a sure. lot of holes that were left behind that are now being exploited inside of here. And so the organizations think that, you know, it's not going to happen to us and it's not important until it is. And that is just not the... Trust me, anybody that, that you want to talk to that's been through this, if they had to rewind, they would have taken and um, spent the money to try their best to prevent this from happening. Yeah. Because I'll, I'll leave you with this. I would never wish a ransomware attack on my worst enemies. I don't have enemies, but if I did, I would never wish it on any of them. Right. And it's out there. It's a real thing. They're trying all the time. 
So it's something to consider. Well, Dave, thanks for the bummer show. <laughs> but I, I really appreciate the thinking around DR is not just about being able to fetch a file or dealing with the with the burn down scenario. It's it's the attacks. So properly securing them, uh, your, those backups, recognizing all the different levels of security, uh, that uh, generational mindset to keep multiple stores in different locations so that you could go back to an old, old backup if you needed to. Just considering recovering from a ransomware attack is interesting. What, what it's going to take to do that. And just enough administration, granularizing privileges, using to the multi-factors, having the tripwires so you get warnings where accounts that have those special privileges are so rarely used that when you see them, it's a big deal. You look right away. Yeah, I think you can you can do this. It's not easy, but it's it's almost certainly it's certainly worth it because it's an existential threat. The company may not survive. Yeah, and, and and just plan plan for this stuff before you ever get hit, and you'll you'll be in a lot better shape for sure. Hey, Kula, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Thanks a lot, Richard. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio. <laughs> <laughs>